Good evening, my name is John, <coughs> and um, I normally do Thursday nights. Tonight I do Wednesday night and Thursday night, so if you love it so much tonight, you can always come back again tomorrow for the same talk. Uh, as we've been journeying through Exodus, we've been hitting two things, time and time and time again, and it is these. First, a big theme is that in Exodus, we see how God reveals himself through rescue. How do we learn more of what God is like? Well, when we see the way that he rescues his people, we learn more of who he is and how he acts. And the second thing we've been learning is an overview of Exodus in six phrases. Now, on Thursday night, we all stand and chant this together with actions, with the full knowledge that if people don't participate, then they'll come up and perform in front of the whole class. And so I thought we'd do that on Wednesday. Let me show you the actions first, and then we'll do it all together, and failure to comply means that you'll do it as a solo. It is that God hears, God speaks, God rescues, God speaks again, that's twice, God speaks again again, that's three times, that's the energetic one, and then God comes down. Everyone got it? Good, you're way cleverer than the Thursday lot. <laughs> Stand up and we'll do it all together. Okay, let's, in time with the PowerPoints. God hears, God speaks, God rescues. God speaks again, God speaks again again, God comes down. Brilliant, you can all sit down, there's no solo performances. And we saw that Exodus really does split into two sections. The first section um, is mostly about who God is with this repeated refrain, then you will know. And the second half, who are his people, then you will be. And we'll particularly see that in the coming weeks as we learn about the law. Uh, and all that has happened. So let me show you what's happened previously, the three weeks, in case you turned up fresh today. Week one, we saw that God hears the cries of his captive people. His people, Israel, are in Egypt. They grow to be a massive nation. A new pharaoh comes to the throne, and he enslaves the people overnight. And he makes them work really hard. He puts taskmasters over them and makes their life miserable. They end the chapter by crying out to God and it says he hears them and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Chapters 3 and 4, God raises up his mediator Moses, the whole burning bush, all the complaining that happens. And we see juxtaposed together God's ability to save his people with Moses' inability and reticence to save his people. And then last week, um, we saw that God crushes his enemy, Egypt, with the ten plagues, literally the ten strikes against the very fabric of Egyptian civil and religious life. So we have quite a small, manageable section, as we just do, 1522 to 177. So let me pray, and then we'll get to work. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Father, thank you that your grace has been sufficient for every second of the day that we're in. Father, thank you that your provision has been abundant. 
Father, thank you that your presence has been real. And Father, thank you that the intercession of the Lord Jesus for us has never once stopped or been silent. And so, Lord, we pray as we enjoy this time together gathered around your word. Father, we ask that you would speak to us in a life-transforming way and make us more like your son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Claudio Ranieri. Claudio Ranieri is an Italian football manager. And in May 2016, he led Leicester City rank outsiders, 1,000 to 1 to win the Premier League, and they won the Premier League. Leicester has never known a day like it since its foundation. Songs of victory filled the air. The footballing world went mad. Everyone was chanting, Claudio, Claudio. By June, he was given keys to the city. This Italian manager who had delivered the Premier League trophy to Leicester City. However, the songs of victory quickly dissipated and the shouts of joy quickly evaporated. And by February this year, Claudio Ranieri was sacked. It just so happened that Craig Shakespeare, who took over from Claudio Ranieri, was sacked on Tuesday. From hero to zero in eight months. From being top of the world to being unemployed. In but a trifling moment. Well, our Exodus story has an even more dramatic flip-flop in it. (laughs) As we see an even fickler people than the Leicester City fans. If you've got a Bible, look at chapter 14, verse 31 with me. It says this. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' servant. God's people trusting, loving God. 1431. Look with me at 1524. Just one chapter and three days later. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? From songs of victory to grumbling, from our God is victorious and mighty, they sing 21 verses of this hymn of praise to God, who has delivered and rescued them, who's drowned all their enemies and led them in glorious procession through the Red Sea. Three days later, we're all going to die of thirst. Moses, what are you going to do about it? From glory to grumbling in just a matter of moments. Elaborate songs of jubilant praise become moaning and groaning, a dirge of complaints. And it keeps on going all through our chapter. They say things like, if only we had died by the hands of the Lord in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and also, and had all the food we wanted, they craved Lancashire hot pot back in Egypt. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
They end our section today saying, is the Lord really among us at all? Does he even care? So what we'll see tonight is that God's people, Israel, have been enlisted in the gym of faith in the wilderness. God's people, Israel, have been enlisted in the gym of faith in the wilderness. God, in this, these three episodes we're going to read, is going to stretch their faith. He's going to test their faith in order to strengthen their faith. Think about when you go to the gym and you lift those heavy weights and they're too heavy for you and you get them just above your head and then you drop them and then you do it again and you do it again. Repetition is the mother of the gym. And as you do it, your muscles are strengthened. As you do more and more, as you test yourself more and more, you get bigger and bigger muscles and end up spending longer and longer in front of the mirror admiring yourself. That is what God is going to do in these three episodes we're going to see. They're going to come across situations that will extend their faith and stretch their faith in order that their their faith might be strengthened. God is bringing his people into situations to exercise and stretch their faith in order to strengthen their faith. He's finished redeeming his people. He's got them out of Egypt. He's rescued them. He's now going to set about refining his people. He's going to change the people of Israel whom he's rescued into a holy nation. And by a holy nation we mean people that trust him and obey him. God is refining his people. So our three stories really are a preacher's dream. We'll see what happens at Marah. We'll then see what happens with Manna. And then we'll see what happens at Massa and Meribah. All the time God is patiently training them. He's building up their faith, refining them to be a holy nation. All these stories follow a similar pattern. There's an obvious need. It's either water or bread. The people grumble. That's what they're good at. That's what they're going to be good at for the whole of the Old Testament. And even the new, we're still good at it today. Moses is going to intercede. God is going to intervene. And there'll be a call to trust him and obey him. They all follow a similar pattern, though the stories are different lengths. So let's look what happens at Marah, verse 22 of chapter 15. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the people called it Marah, because Marah means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, and keep all his decrees... I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Three days, three verses from victory to grumbling. What are we to drink? 
It is that tantalising situation where there is water, but it's undrinkable because it's bitter. They imaginatively call the place bitter. I don't know why. And Moses cries out to the Lord. This word cries is very similar to the word that the Israelites do at the end of chapter 2, when they cry out to the Lord in their hardship. He's crying out in agony. His people are looking to him to do something and he cries out anguished and in agony. It's so weird, isn't it? Verse 25, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. No one was looking at the piece of wood. No one thought this wood was a big deal until Moses prayed. God intervened and said, look at the piece of wood. And miraculously, Moses throws the wood into the bitter water and the bitter water through sweet providence becomes drinkable. Do you see what happened? God intervened. Now, it's a very interesting phrase. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. That word showed is the Hebrew word Torah. The verb that is used, God showing people what to do is Torah. What we'll learn in the next few days is that the people are on their way and God will give them the law. He will Torah them. He will show them what he's like in his law. And so what happens? Moses prays. God Torahs him. He tells him what to do. He intervenes. He shows him the way to go. And Moses does something and God wins the day. It is like a little snapshot of all that is going to happen. God's people are in a real difficulty and all the time it needs God to Torah them to show them what to do. God intervening, God revealing. That's what Exodus has been all about, God revealing himself. And we'll see that that revelation isn't over. This God is still showing his people what to do. Showing his people who they are. Showing his people who he is. Torah. That big word. And then we get this list of commands. God is going to call them to obey. Do what is right in my eyes. Pay attention to my commands. Keep all my decrees. Live before me rightly. Obey what I say. And trust who I am. Then God reveals himself to be the God who heals. I am the Lord who heals you. Literally, I'm the God who makes you whole. I'm the God who's going to heal you of the disease of the Egyptians. I'm going to make you wholeheartedly obedient to me. I'm going to stretch and extend your faith that you might be strong. And a holy nation who trusts me. And obeys me. God getting Israel out of Egypt is not as much of a problem as getting Egypt out of his people Israel. It's going to be way harder to reform this people than it was to rescue his people. Clement of Rome says this. That's his selfie. (laughs) After the Red Sea crossing, Moses, by the command of God, whose providence is overall, led out the Hebrews into the wilderness that he might root out the evils and unbelief which had clung to them by a long-continued familiarity with the customs of Egypt. 
so helpful, and he wrote that in 84 AD. He's saying, God led them into the wilderness to extend their faith and stretch their faith so that they would become less Egyptian than all his. He is redeeming and refining his people. It's very interesting, the application for us, how do we know what to do when we come across difficulties? Well, we cry out like Moses and pray, and then the Lord, through his word, tores us. He shows us what to do. He's not going to give us a new word like there's a piece of wood, but all the guidance that we need is in this book, his Torah, his word. And it is through this in our prayers that he'll show us what he would have us do. It's very interesting, don't miss verse 27. After Mara, they come to Elam, and the way it's written suggests that Elam and Mara are just next door to each other. So when they all complain to Moses and say, what are we going to drink? God could have easily said, well, just keep going another 10 minutes and you'll be at Butlins for Israel with all the palms and all the springs that you could possibly need. But do you see in the providence of God, he takes them to Mara. He takes them to the bitter water to stretch their faith and extend their faith so that it will strengthen their faith. And in your life, it will not be plain sailing. Your Christian life will not be all unicorns and rainbows and singing, I'm H-A-P-P-Y. It will not. (laughs) But bear in mind at that moment that God leads you through bitter experiences, not to crush you, but to stretch your faith and extend your faith. So that it might strengthen your faith. That's what 1 Peter's all about. These trials that have come upon you. Are to show that your faith is authentic. And that it will be refined. Even though tested by fire. God is bringing his people into situations to exercise and stretch their faith. In order to strengthen their faith. Then we move on to manna. That's all of chapter 16. You're going to look at this in this your groups. But let me show you a few things quickly just to spoil it all for you. (laughs) This is the point. It's not thirstiness. It's that rumbling stomachs lead to grumbling mouths. Verse 3. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat round Lancashire hot pot and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You haven't brought us up to life and freedom. You've brought us up to death and anonymous graves. But again we see that God intervenes. He miraculously provides for them. Verse 4, he's going to give them bread from heaven. It's an amazing providence. They don't know what it is. Verse 14... When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. They shouldn't have called it manna, they should have called it frosties. <laughs> but they don't call it frosties, they actually call it what's Because they say, well, manna, which means what is it? But we seem to have decided that we'll call it what's it, so that'll be fine. Verse 31, it sounds delicious, like paella. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. I am eating that all the time. (laughs) That's incredible. And just to top it off, 
They don't just get bread, but they also get quail. That in the morning they get the bread, and in the evening they get quail. That will keep me going forever. Forever and ever and ever. But there are ways that they must obey the Lord. Two big things. Number one, take what you need every day. Don't store it up. If you store it up, you'll see it becomes like maggots and starts to smell. Only take what you need. Only take enough for the day. Second point, on the sixth day, gather twice as much because it needs to last you for the Sabbath. You need to trust God that he'll provide every day. And you need to trust him so much on the Sabbath that the stuff you gather on the sixth day will last you on the seventh day. Do you see it's about stretching their faith and testing their faith in order to strengthen their faith? Well, some of them don't get it. Verse 20, chapter 15, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell, so Moses was angry with them. Verse 27, on the Sabbath day, nevertheless, verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Do you see that this is the gem? That God is bringing them into situations to stretch their faith and exercise their faith in order that their strength, their faith might be strengthened? It is in the gem of faith in the wilderness God wants them to be wholly his and altogether trusting him and I think the verse 34 shows us that he's altogether trustworthy verse 34 as the Lord commanded Moses Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law that it might be preserved the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until the day they reached the border of Canaan. God says you need to trust me every day for your food, your sustenance. And we see that he has an impeccable record for 40 years. 40 years they have enough to get them through the day. They have enough for the day. Which brings us into land of chapter 17 verses 1 to 7. Let me read this. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said... Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? When Moses cried out to the Lord, what am, I am to do, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They're going to murder Moses because they're thirsty. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
They've had two big lessons. They've had two huge gym workouts with God. And they come to the third workout and we see that they haven't really moved on in faith at all. They're thirsty. They've been thirsty before and God provided. They're thirsty again. And they say, is the God, Lord really among us? Let's stone Moses. It's an incredible thing, isn't it, that these people are so slow of heart. And yet God is so patient and tolerant and kind with them. Think of all that God has done for them, heard their cries, raised up a mediator, punished the Egyptians, led them out in glorious procession, crossed the Red Sea, gave them water at Marah, gave them food and bread. That morning they woke up, they had full stomachs, and they have the audacity to say, is God really among us or not? And they want to murder Moses. And God miraculously intervenes in the most extraordinary way. No one is looking in rocks for a drink. No one. Bear Grylls is not doing that on the island of survival. He is not. But it's a miracle. Moses takes the staff, hits the rock, and it gushes forth water. And everyone is utterly saliated. You see, the whole thing is so that we will trust the Lord and obey him. He's working in their lives to strengthen their faith. The Israelites' problem in the wilderness is never their lack of material things. It's their lack of faith in the Lord who has rescued them. But here's a point for all of us. We're just the same. It's important that we don't look at the speck in Old Testament Israel's I and miss the total plank in our own. Here's how it plays out. I have trusted the Lord Jesus with my eternity. I think that through God's glorious plan, Jesus miraculously came, incarnated. That word incarnation, like chili con carne, he took on flesh, he became meat. He lived the perfect life I failed to live. He died the atoning death that I deserve. He was buried in the ground and three days later he rose to life to prove that it's all true. And I trust him that because of what he's done, he's got all of my eternity sorted, that I will be with him forever because of his glorious provision for me. And yet I freak out about the minutiae of life. I think you've got all of eternity, but I'm not quite sure that I'll have enough to get by. I'm not quite sure about my job or my marriage or my relationships or my friends or my family. And I think to myself, I am just like these people. And yet God is so patient and he's so tolerant and he knows how slow of heart I am. And every hurdle and obstacle that comes into my life, I have the opportunity to, but for both my faith to be exercised, my faith to be stretched in order that my faith might be strengthened. God is in this glorious process. He had Israel in the gym in the wilderness and he has John Gemmell in the gym in his everyday life. All the time, leading me forward by the hand so I'll exercise faith, my faith will be stretched and my faith will be strengthened. Everything. Not one thing will be wasted. Not one experience doesn't have intentionality and purpose behind it. And all the time we're asking, why, Lord, is this happening? When really we should be asking, what, Lord, are you teaching me? And how can I walk through this experience in a way that brings you maximum faith? 
And let's be clear, trust and obedience are really the same thing. If I trust that God is always at work in and through my situation, then it will be in a joy to obey and do what he says. It always will be. The minute I doubt his goodness, I doubt that he's there, I doubt his provision, I'll start to make it up and play jazz and go my own way. And yet I have so much more to go on than these people. These people saw great things in Egypt. But I'm told that I have the Lord Jesus. He wells up in me living water that wells up to eternal life. That's not an external thing, that's an internal thing. He tells me that he is the true bread of heaven that came down that I might have eternal satisfaction forever. Not just a meal for the day. That I can feast on him each and every day, that his grace is sufficient and he will be more than enough for everything that I face. That in him is not just physical sustenance, but eternal satisfaction. Paul draws this exact conclusion in 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So what Paul is saying is this, is for us. These people had all this time in the gym, all these lessons, all these opportunities to garner faith inside them. And yet God wasn't pleased with them because they never trusted him. Your opportunity today is to trust him. To trust him implicitly. This guy with the great beard is called John G. Peter. He was a Scottish missionary. He went to um, the New Hebrides or Vanuatu in the Pacific. It's a small cluster of about 25 islands. And the one thing that was synonymous with all of them at the time John G. Payton went was that they were all cannibals. And if you live in a cannibalistic society, there's one thing that you will never do, and that is have faith in anyone or trust anyone because you'll end up as breakfast, lunch or dinner. And so he had this real problem as he was teaching them about what it means to trust the Lord Jesus, explaining to them what trust means. And so all he did was he got a chair, and he sat on it, and he lifted his feet up. And he said, to trust means that I'm leaning my whole life upon the Lord Jesus. That is what this passage is calling us to do today. To lean our whole life on the Lord Jesus. To trust him and obey him. To serve him and to worship him. To dig into his word. To ask for his wisdom. And the overarching goal for all of our lives is that we will look more like the Lord Jesus himself. As we're transformed from the inside out. You see, God is bringing his people into situations to exercise and stretch their faith in order to strengthen their faith. God is bringing us, his people, into situations to exercise and stretch our faith in order to strengthen our faith. How do you know if you're really trusting the Lord Jesus? Well, here's three things. Number one, what are you praying? Are you praying? Are you asking God to do more than you can ask or imagine or are you playing it safe and just asking that you'll get through <coughs> what are you praying what are you persistently praying for knowing that it's only God who will be able to do it 
serve an infinite God who's enormous and yet our prayers are so small? What are you trusting God for? Secondly, this is a group activity. Some of us will go through really hard times, but we're a community. And we can all say, well, I'm trusting God for that. And everyone else can chime in and say, well, you're right to trust God with that because he's altogether trustworthy. And none of this will be wasted. Secondly, thirdly, how prone are you to grumbling? How much do you grumble? I grumble a lot. Make sure those grumblings are not towards God. Make sure it's not why am I going through this, but what are you teaching me? And how can I walk through in a way that makes you look glorious as I lean my whole life upon you? Let me pray and then we'll get to work in our groups. Father God, we're so sorry that we are so slow of heart. Father, that you have been teaching us wonderful things about your faithfulness and your trustworthiness, your provision for us, your care for us. Father, we confess that you have been perfect in your faithfulness. And yet, Lord, we have been so slow. Lord, we doubt you all the time. We go our own way thinking that we know better. Lord, we're so sorry. We invite you now to continue your work in us, stretching our faith, testing our faith, in order that our faith in you might be strong and steadfast. Father, we long to be people who lean our whole lives upon your Son, the Lord Jesus. So, Lord, by your Spirit, to your glory alone, Make us more like him, we ask. Father, we have the audacity to ask this because Jesus loved us and gave himself to us and for us. In order that we don't just call you a God miles away in the sky, but we call you Father. So be at work in us, your children, we ask. Amen.